Let's turn in God's Word this morning first to Psalm 139, and then we'll go back and read Psalm 115. Psalm 139, we're going to read the first ten verses here, and as we read these verses, look for the psalmist's instruction about the fact that God is everywhere present, which is related to the truth of providence. Psalm 139, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell In the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Let's now turn back to Psalm 115. Notice in this psalm the power of God as it's contrasted with the impotence of false gods. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. 
You will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Thus far we read God's holy and an errant word. May he add his blessing to the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages of scripture and many others besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10. Words day 10, what dost thou mean by the providence of God? The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches, and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created, and by his providence does still uphold all things? We may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, And that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will they cannot so much as move. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we proceed this morning from the truth of God's work of creation to the truth of God's work of providence. We saw the truth of creation taught in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 9, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them. He created by the word of his power. He created in six 24-hour days, and then he was, at the end of the sixth day, finished with the work of creation. Not an ongoing work, as the evolutionist teaches. But now having finished the work of creation, or having finished our examination of the work of creation, we move to the related truth of God's providence. 
What now is God going to do with this that He has created? Is He going to set it to the side and busy Himself with some other task? Is He going to appoint somebody else to take care of governing and ruling over this that He has created? Or will He be actively involved in this that He has created? You know already the truth of providence is not that God is distant from the creature, but by the almighty and everywhere present power of God, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures. This doctrine, according to the Belgic Confession, Article 13, offers the Christian unspeakable consolation. What a comfort it is to know that the same God who by the word of His power shaped all things does not leave that creation to chance, but that by His fatherly hand He reaches down from the heavens above, guiding and directing all things for the salvation of His church and for the glorification of His name through Jesus Christ. Do you love the truth of providence? Does the truth of providence give to you that unspeakable consolation? It's not always easy to love the truth of providence. You can love the truth of providence when providence means that God works everything the way that I wish things would be worked. What about when God's providence means that He directs things in a way that is contrary to your will, to my will? What about when God's providence sends cancer? Death. An impenitent member in the family. And can we still acknowledge the goodness of the providence of God? Let's consider this morning our Father's Providence, believing the Father's providence. First, we'll look at what providence is. Second, how we believe it. Third, why we believe it. What, how, why. What is providence? The Catechism begins its explanation of providence by speaking of it as a power. What dost thou mean by the providence of God? It is the almighty and everywhere present power of 
God. Providence cannot be understood apart from power. Providence is God's power at work in your life. Providence, stripped of power, ceases to be providence, and now becomes the figment of man's imagination. A providence, to speak of a providence without any power, is to speak of an idol. The psalmist describes these idols in Psalm 115, verse 4 and following. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. And then see how weak they are. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. Verse 7, they have hands, but they handle not. But a distinction from that is the providence of God, which is the power by which God upholds and governs all things. The power of God is so great that our minds cannot even fathom, much less measure, the extent of God's power. We speak of the power of God as being that which upholds the heavens and the earth. Now consider for a moment, how much does the earth weigh? There's no scale large enough to fit the earth on the scale. The best we can do is make, scientists can do is make calculations and estimates about the weight of the earth. That it weighs many trillions of billions of tons. That's power that holds the earth. And the earth is but one of many planets. And God holds them all in place. Power. But now when we speak of power here, we are not speaking of some abstract, impersonal force that acts upon the creation. But we are speaking here of the power of a person. It is the almighty and everywhere present power of God. Providence is not the power of fate. Providence is not the power of destiny or of the devil. Providence is not the power of an earthly governor as he rules over and governs his district. Providence is not the power of the business owner, though that business owner might have great wealth and thus, from an earthly perspective, a great measure of power that he holds in his hands. Providence is not the power of an earthly father as He provides, similar to providence, but different, as that Father provides for His family. That's not providence, but providence is the power of God. Psalm 115, verse 3, But our 
God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. The God who created the heavens and the earth now has the sole right to rule over the heavens and the earth. And nobody may nudge the Creator to the side and say, well, you don't have the right to rule over us. We're going to do what we please because we have our own power. No, He has the sole prerogative to rule exclusively over the heavens and the earth for He is the one who created. It's the power of a person. The power of a real, thinking, willing, feeling person who governs and who upholds power. And then, as well, we note about the power of God that His power is everywhere present. That's how the catechism begins here. The almighty and everywhere present power of God. For us to understand the truth of providence, we must know something of what is called the imminence of God. According to the imminence of God, God is not far removed from the creation, but God is near to the creature, with the creature, and even in the creature. Acts 17, verse 28, for in Him we live and move and have our being. You think of that when you woke up this morning. God is with me and God is in me. If God is not the everywhere present God, the God who is imminent, near to us, then God could not be the God of providence. How could God uphold and govern everything on this earth if God were removed from this earth? God is not a general manager who dispatches others to execute and accomplish His purpose. But God executes His decree according to His everywhere present power. Do we think of that when we're tempted to sin? God is here. God watches. And God knows. Power. The Catechism goes on then to speak of the providence of God. It's the power of God whereby, as it were by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures. Two things the Catechism speaks of here. Similar truths related, intimately related one to another, and yet these truths can be distinguished from each other. That on the one hand, God upholds everything. And on the other hand, God governs every 
thing. We begin here with the idea of upholding. What does it mean that God upholds everything, even by the power of His fatherly hand? We have to be very careful here as we seek to understand this figure of speech, that God upholds all things, even by His fatherly hand. We would be inclined to think of God's upholding all things in His hand as meaning the same thing to Him as what it does to us. We, we might be able to come, see an object sitting here, wrap our hands around the object, pick this psalter up, and say, I am upholding this Psalter. By the strength in my hand and in my arms, I'm holding it up. And then we'd be tempted to conclude, so that's the sense in which God upholds everything, right? That there's this object and God reaches down and God clutches it in His almighty hand and God holds that object up. But that's not the idea here of God upholding everything. You see, it's different for us. I can take this Psalter and I can set the Psalter down, and this Psalter will continue to exist. It will continue to have its place here on the pulpit until the next person comes along and picks up the Psalter. But that's different from God's work of upholding all things. God's upholding all things is not merely God holding something in place, but rather it's it's more than that. It's this, beloved. God's upholding is His giving continued existence unto everything that has been created. I can set this altar down and it will continue to exist here. But if God would cease for a moment to uphold the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth would no longer have their existence. That's the power of God by which He upholds heaven and earth. It's something we don't reflect on very much. This thought doesn't rise to the forefront of our minds very often. We simply take it for granted that God is going to continue giving existence to that which He has created. We don't think about it on Sunday morning. Is the church building going to be in place when I come to church on Sunday morning? Or is the church going to be gone, annihilated? We simply trust that the church building is going to be here. But why is this church building here? Why do the walls stand up? Why doesn't the roof come collapsing down upon us? It's because of the almighty power of God by which He gives continued existence unto that which He has created. The same is true for everything else that He's shaped. Gravity. Laws of gravity. Why does gravity always pull to the center of the earth? Light. 
Why does light have existence? Because God gives it a place. That's the power of upholding. And then, the Heidelberg Catechism goes on to speak of the power of God to govern. The Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures. Every movement that happens upon this earth happens exactly the way that God has willed it to happen. Man does not and cannot so much as inhale a single breath into his lungs except God by the power of his government bring that to pass. Every detail of our lives is arranged according to the providential plan of God. The Catechism lists out a number of examples so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, Yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. There is nothing that is outside of the scope of God's providential power. There is nothing that can raise its fist against Almighty God and say, I will govern Myself, in a spirit of independentism. But everything is under our Father's control. Struck by that even a little over a week ago in the manner in which our daughter came into this world. But that too was according to our Father's providence. How, then, do we believe this? Do we believe the truth of the Father's providence? We must believe it. All of this instruction about power, about imminence, about upholding and governing is of no benefit to us if this knowledge does not make its way from our heads to our hearts. You believe it in your heart that God exercises absolute control over everything on this earth. The truth of this Lord's Day, we said, is one that brings unspeakable consolation to the child of God. 
It brings consolation and comfort to us because it reminds us of the truth that it's not an impersonal force, but it's our loving God and Father in heaven who tenderly directs all of the affairs of this earth for the good of His church. And how amazing and how comforting is that thought. That's our Father, your Father, holds all things in His hand. But although this is a truth that brings unspeakable consolation to some, this truth also can be a great stumbling block for others. A stumbling block because oftentimes the Father does not govern things on this earth the way that we would want Him to govern things. And how can we believe the goodness of the Father's providence when God directs things on this earth in such a way that it means that I must suffer and that I must endure pain? Consider the realm of things physical. But if the providence of God is that you have an affliction, a thorn in the flesh that inhibits you, that slows you down, that prevents you from doing what you wish you could do. Is then God the Father being good to us at that particular moment? What if God sends sickness into our home. And the sickness goes on and on and on. Is our Father truly good in that? And then when we leave behind the realm of things physical and enter into the realm of things moral and things spiritual, it can become even more difficult to acknowledge the goodness of our Father's providential hand. We said earlier that there is nothing that's outside of the scope of the Father's providence. And that means then that not only good, but also evil is controlled by our Father in heaven. That means that not only the deeds of righteous men, but the deeds of unrighteous men are performed according to the will and the counsel of God. I encourage you this afternoon to read through the Belgic Confession, Article 13. And that that article mentions that even when devils and wicked men act unjustly, they do so according to the Father's providence. So how can God be good in that? When devils and wicked men act unjustly, It's one thing to make a vague or an abstract confession of the truth of God's providence. It's one thing when you're healthy and when you're strong. 
and when you have enough money in the bank to pay all the bills, to say, yes, I acknowledge the providence of the Father, and I love the providence of the Father. But what about when God takes health away? What about when God takes a spouse away? What about when God puts us through the valley of the shadow of death? Do we still acknowledge and love the providence of God when there are barren years, when there's sickness, when there's poverty? It's at this point that so many struggle to believe the providence of God. And then they come up with alternative explanations, perhaps dualism. God is in control of all that is good, but then there's another power at work, the devil, and the devil, well, he reigns over all that is evil. And then in their minds, that provides the solution to this difficulty, and when there are hurricanes, and there are wars, and there's a spread of disease, well, we can attribute all of these to a different power, power of the devil. How do you respond when you are cheated out of money that is owed to you? How do you respond when your spouse hurts you, minimizes you? How do you respond when your son or your daughter, whom you have raised to the best of your ability, albeit imperfectly, strays from the truths of God's Word and walks in ways satisfying the carnal lusts of the flesh. Do we still acknowledge the goodness of God's providence? The only way that we can acknowledge the truth of providence is by faith. Believing providence is an activity of childlike Faith in God. We are considering here the Hedeberg Catechism's explanation of the first article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. I believe the church has said throughout the ages, and I believe is what the church continues to say. It is because I have faith in God that I am given the ability to believe that God is the one who controls all things. Faith, it stands over against our natural senses, does it not? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 
This means then that we must even learn to distrust our own natural interpretation of the unpleasant circumstances of this earth. How would we naturally understand and conceive of unpleasant circumstances on this earth? If there's pain in my life, we acknowledge that pain, that pain hurts, that pain is real, but how do we then interpret that pain? And is it not oftentimes the case that because pain is hurtful, that therefore we interpret it according to our natural senses as being something that is bad or something that is evil in our lives. But what does faith say about things that are unpleasant in our lives? And to ask the question, what does faith say about how we are to interpret even the difficulties of this earth, is to ask How does God's Word say that we are to respond to and interpret the difficult circumstances of this life? And the Word of God teaches that we ought not to view these things as being bad or evil in and of themselves. But Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5 said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. If it is the case that my ears, my natural ears, hear the words of hateful men as they use their tongue to slander, to hurt, to destroy me, what would my natural response be? My natural response would be to become upset about this situation, to get angry at that neighbor who has hurt me. But we must distrust our natural responses to the things of this earth and learn to walk by faith and not by sight. But as Jesus say, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Faith gives us a perspective that our natural senses will never be able to give us. Apart from faith, we will neither acknowledge the truth of providence nor love the truth of providence. Apart from faith, we would do the exact opposite would begin to become angry at God because of the way that He is directing things in our lives. But by faith, we see that God has a redemptive plan in all of the circumstances that He directs in our lives lives. Why do we believe our Father's providence? We believe it, beloved, because the truth of providence reveals to us the glory of our God.
through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It is in Christ and Christ alone that we are brought to see the goodness of the Father's providence. All of the Father's directing, upholding, governing is centered on Jesus Christ. Even the death of Jesus Christ, when devils and wicked men acted so unjustly in taking His blessed body and hanging His body upon the cross, even that act happened not by chance and not by accident, but happened according to the Father's good pleasure. Him, Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 2.23 All of history then, is being directed by God unto this end that He might be praised and worshipped through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And that's an astounding thought to consider that. That for some 6,000 years of history, the history of this earth, there has not been one accident. There has not been one deviation from God the Father's plan. But everything that has happened, the rise and the fall of nations, righteous kings and unrighteous kings, the development of the knowledge of God alongside of the development of wickedness and sin upon this earth, not a single thing has happened upon this earth that goes apart from the eternal and the unchanging counsel of God but by His almighty and everywhere present power, He directs everything toward His Son, Jesus Christ. Providence does not exist for the exaltation of man, but providence exists for the exaltation of God Himself. God does not govern over all things so that man might be exalted and so that man might be made great. God's providence is in place not so that your name might be established, so that you might have a lineage that follows you and has a prominent place in the church and in the community. God's providence does not mean that you and I are going to be able to enjoy ease and comfort upon this earth. Providence exists not for the exaltation of man, but for the exaltation of the great and glorious name of our God. God is pleased to use this earth created by Him upheld and governed by Him as the stage on which His glory will be revealed. And so He uses this earth 
with all of its brokenness, with all of its crookedness, with all of the difficulties and grief of hearts that we endure here below to reveal that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. In response to the knowledge of the providence of God, the duty of the Christian is to be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and in all things which shall hereafter befall us, to place our firm trust in Him. Patient in adversity because we know that God is directing this adversity for our spiritual profit. Patient in adversity because we know that it will come to an end. It's for a season of life that God sends this trial. But it will end when God takes us off of this earth and brings us to the glory that awaits Thankful, the catechism says, thankful in prosperity. Thanks be to God if He has given us prosperity. We do not hate prosperity. We're thankful for prosperity. Thankful because we know that everything that we have comes not from ourselves, but from God. For what do you have that you did not receive? And then in all things, we place our firm trust in Him, our faithful God and Father. We trust Him because His Word never changes. His promises are sure and steadfast. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. And so we join with the psalmist in proclaiming, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, how great and how unsearchable are Thy ways. Thy thoughts are beyond our thoughts. Thy judgments are mighty deep. We thank Thee that we have a place in Thy plan and in Thy providence. We thank Thee for upholding us throughout our earthly sojourn until at last Thou wilt bring us to our home where we can be with our elder brother and with the church triumphant. Forgive us our sins and send us home with Thy blessing for Jesus' sake. Amen.